RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 4, Episode 5, Star Trek The Motion Picture Update, January 6, 1978. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Welcome back, Star Trek fans, all you history buffs, all you canonistas, I say that lovingly, <laughs> and of course, all of our Trekophiles spelled with an F. This week, uh, kind of reflecting the anniversary fever that everyone's feeling toward Star Trek The Motion Picture, we've got a document that refers to... Um, to the motion, to TMP's early evolution. So go over to our The Trek Files page on Facebook, facebook.com slash The Trek Files. Um, give a listen. It's about a two-page memo. We're going to have a sample here, and then come on back. There's lots to, uh, to dig in here. At this point, Star Trek's return came very near dying. But, as happened eight years before when NBC first tried to cancel the show, the fans not only knew what was happening, but how to cope with it. Paramount received an unprecedented barrage of mail on the subject. Fans also sent letters to newspaper editors, entertainment columnists, gathered petitions, distributed bumper stickers and posters, made telephone calls. Fans arranged for Star Trek conventions to be properly covered in news programs. Smithsonian Institution put the 11-foot Enterprise model on permanent display. Fans caused NASA's space shuttle to be named Enterprise. Magazines commented on Trekkies and Trekkers. Radio talk shows gave hundreds of hours to the subject. The fans prevailed. Paramount became convinced that they would probably sell enough tickets to make a Star Trek film a reasonable gamble. Well, there you have it, fans. And yes, it is a time of a lot of uh, re-examination, revisiting of the motion picture, maybe the attitude, the opinions you thought you have. People are seeing the motion picture in a new light, talking about the differences in the various editions. Um, this, uh, obviously, memo happens kind of a midway point here. The 70s had been a long and winding road <laughs> for Star Trek. And as I always say, the motion picture obviously deserves to be looked at as a film, but of all the Star Trek movies, it's the one that represents something much more than just a film, and that needs to be taken into account for for the for better or for worse. And this memo is really as as close as it is to the start of filming is <laughs> winds up being about midway through that saga. Um, so I brought in uh, our good friend John Champion here. You know him as the host of Mission Log and Mission Log Live to talk about this. It is kind of a motion picture era right now we're in, and people are looking again. And this, I just felt like this was a nice moment in time to Gene uh, doing a very nice job of being a sum-up historian, don't you think? Yeah, and it, you know, it's gratifying to be a fan of this movie and there be so much attention around it for the 40th anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really takes me back to that period right before this movie came out. And just remembering that there was this sort of uh, uptick in interest in science fiction. Uh, Everybody, of course, talks about Star Wars, but you also had Logan's Run and Silent Running. Close Encounters. Close Encounters, yeah, yeah, which uh, there was a lot of excitement around that. And the Black Hole from Disney. Sure, Black Hole, yeah. So there was all this interest and excitement around sci-fi anyway, so it just makes sense that Paramount would go, oh, wait, we should take this TV thing 
thing and make it into something bigger and better. And what I really like about this letter is that You know, so many of the other letters that come from Star Trek to the fans prior to this point are a little bit of the, you know, like, thanks for your support. Please don't go too crazy when you're, uh, you know, sending this barrage of letters to the studios. We we still have to work and and be nice. Um, Or there's just not a lot of news to tell, you know. Uh, In the stuff that's leading up to and right around the animated series, there's at least something to tell. But there's this long period in between where it's just like, yeah, well, we're we're working on stuff. We hope it comes to fruition. Well, you're, you're we caught in that. Happens. Gene, for himself, is for mm-hmm. his point, is caught in the in that um, in that point between. I know I've caught lightning in a bottle here. I don't want this to go away. But I'm yeah. a producer. I got to pay my rent. Yeah, I can't yeah. just talk on college campuses. I'd really like to have some other credits. Right. Have some pilots. Have some features to take off. Right. And the '70s was such a mix of that. And then you have the stop, start, stop, start, which was frustrating to him. But mm-hmm. also to fandom out there, and and in the pre-internet, pre-Twitter, pre-Facebook mm-hmm. era, it would all come in drips and drabs through rumor and what you heard at a convention or some little blurb in a TV guide or a, your local TV news column or something. You know, yeah, it was so filtered and so that was one of the galvanizing bits of fandom was aside from being activist, just having the communication channels. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And what I like about this is that it, it is so clear and sort of going through the timeline. Right. And there's not a lot of the gene pontificating and gene <laughs> legend building here. I imagine, I, I, certainly he had his hand in this, but uh, we see at the very end, SS, Susan Sackett is the one who actually typed right. this up. Um, so I'm sure that there were many eyes on this before it went out. Um, but it is very straightforward. It just tells the story where we've been, where we are right now, and where we hope to go. He's very uh, inclusive. He's, he's, mm-hmm. he's like I said, he's a great storyteller. He allows everyone to be respected. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. There's no crazy fandom in here, and there's not those suits who are opposed to. Yeah, me. right. He's saying, right, right. "Hey guys, it's got to make money. You know, we yeah. got to sell tickets. Everything they've done, they want to make money too. They want to yeah. do it the right way. You know what you want. We can all." Can't we all just get along? All right. And and let's be realistic about the the size of the venture. Bringing it back to a movie is one thing. Mm-hmm. Switching it over to TV is another. Then switching it back to a movie is to yet a, another To a huge thing. movie. Yeah, to a huge movie. Exactly. So all of this is going to take time. Everybody has to sort of reconfigure their expectation and the the type of work they put into it if that's going to happen. Now, he does point out something here that, of course, famously we know is kind of what sunk the motion picture, which is, hey, Paramount was so great, they spent all this development money on getting me to write a script that they then uh, uh, rescinded the green light. Then they wanted to make a TV show, and we spent all this money again on sets and props and costumes. Ooh, and then that didn't happen. Now we're back to the drawing board to make this into a movie. And as we all know, all that budget, all that money that got spent just sort of got thrown at the bottom line right. of the motion right. picture. All chalked up to that. Yeah, so suddenly on paper, the motion picture looks a lot less like a success than it, than and, it should have been. And insanely, after they, after the, in this, this timeline, and this is early 78, we didn't start f- uh, filming until August, August 7th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we had the whole filming adventure, the rewrites, the political, who all's got their finger in the pie here of the writing, yeah. who's really doing it. 
the filming, and then we had the whole special effects debacle, the yeah, visual effects debacle with right. Robert Abel, and then you know the, everybody in Hollywood and their dog and their mother coming in to help paint, build, whatever film, mm-hmm. and the famous shipping out the film cans, you know, wet. Yeah, and Robert yeah. Wise carrying the last reel to the premiere in Washington D.C. on yeah. his lap that they cut in when they showed the film. Yeah. So that's part of the saga is all to come. But he really has a tone here of I'm standing on the mountaintop, and boy, I know we've had a rough path, uh, uh, you mm-hmm. know, a long winding road. It's been a long road getting, getting from, from there, there to here, here. Yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. But boy, we're there, and don't take this as just another delay. He he wraps up here saying, I know, I know we thought we had the answer, the key, and we were going gung-ho, and then we had to pull back. He says, but he's saying this really, 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 really is the real deal. We're really going ahead. Yeah. And and he he was he was he was true. I mean, it was true. That's what happened. It still wasn't without the hiccups that we know happened later. Mm-hmm. But he does yeah. a really good job here of, of giving everybody their due and some praise because it's not caught in the day to day, as you said. Right, right. And I, you know, I really like he he does do the thing that that you expect that is part of the Star Trek lore, the Star Trek mythology, which is. Let's talk about all the things that the fans did, like write letters well, and go to newspaper editors. And uh, it, you got NASA to name the space shuttle Enterprise. You got the Smithsonian to put the 11-foot model up on permanent display. You know, it, he's really throwing it back on their grassroots efforts, um, which is absolutely true. What do they what do they call that, John? Fan ownership? Is yeah. that what they, <laughs> right. You wouldn't be here if not for us? Yeah, Is that what yeah. they call that? Yeah. I mean, it's almost like it's baked in the cake of the Star Trek it DNA really there. I, I, yeah. 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 He, he is certainly not unaware of that. And, you know, talking about radio talk shows gave hundreds of hours to the subject. Yeah, yeah. So he's He's certainly getting the benefit of all of that. But what what kills me is even even after the comeback mm-hmm. with Star Wars exploding, with Close Encounters, Paramount, even as you were saying, throw all that past R and D onto mm-hmm. the bottom line of this poor movie. Yeah. Then they decide it's got to be it, there's got to be even more spent. Right. Right. So they yeah. up that, and that of course is before they come down to the the visual effects crisis, and they're paying so much overtime for people to be working twenty four seven for six months. On visual effects that up the the price tag even more that they sure. hadn't planned on. Sure. So yeah. you know they spend an awful lot of money on this, and yet yeah. it's still. We have to remember that for all the shortcomings of the film and for this crazy production control, until the JJ first JJ movie in '09, mm-hmm. this movie had the biggest box office of oh. any Star Trek movie. Wow. wow. Even before, yeah. I think even before you, you uh, adjust for inflation. Mm-hmm. But that is total, that there is also a total testament to the fan, 10 years of fan, uh, I don't know, expectation constipation. <laughs> <laughs> there had been so much pent up demand when the dam finally broke and people went just, you know, the first wave or two was just simply, we worked for this for 10 years. Yeah. It was like vindication. Yeah. And, um, right. And we forget that it is as much, Sometimes as much of a dig as the movie takes. Yeah. And as trouble yeah. history has, it made a ton of money, which is why I think, uh, you know, the famous comeback with Star Trek II and Rather Khan and, and Bloodhorn saying, basically saying, well, if we could make money with that mess of a production, could we make a cleaner, meaner one? Right. You know? <laughs> right, right. And uh, Harv Bennett and Nick Myers saying, oh, yes, I think we can. And. And, the, and then we're off and running with Wrath of Khan and all that came later. But yeah, yeah. we have to remember that it was a it actually was a financial hit. It didn't take the franchise down. Right. 
Yeah, right? Yeah, right. you're right. right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, there's this. But, he, but he's just dripping with confidence now. Kids, I'm on the mountaintop. Yeah. And I can tell you we're actually really, really there. Right. And, um, right. Which yeah. is awesome, but then to know what comes after. <laughs> yeah, no, precisely. <laughs> precisely. Yeah, and, and like I said, the thing that I like is that it's really, it's just really straightforward. It's, mm-hmm. There's not, of the, uh, not a lot of the self-aggrandizement, uh, the, the sort of spin that you get sometimes right. when Gene is just sitting down to tell his own story. Uh, another thing that I like here is that this is on uh, the actual letter is on stationary. It's on letterhead mm-hmm. from Star Trek, a Paramount production in association with Norway Productions. This is prior to you know, sort of the later office of Star Trek. Right. Well, there was a motion um, picture stationary, which yeah. they've not adjusted to. Yeah, yeah they haven't so used this it This is the here. 70s yeah. in between, like, yeah. leftover. Uh, yeah, the, right. the, this is, yeah, it's essentially Star Trek was still this TV show, and it's the one that says from the log of the Starship mm-hmm. Enterprise. Norway so, Productions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, this is, we, we still got a foot in the TV version of Star Trek, not quite having gotten to the, uh, the, the motion picture version. And and the location on there on Marathon Street is actually not on the lot. Uh, so he's he's actually a couple of blocks to the east of Paramount at that point. And it's definitely before Marathon was taken out mm-hmm. as a street and the, and the lot expanded in the, in yep. the early 90s. Yeah, yeah. But I also like this because, and it's the, it's the focus paragraph that we used to, to, to entree with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a wonderful reminder for everybody sitting here in 2019. Fan activism looks like something right now, and if that sometimes that gets a little off the deep end about because you do have the 24 seven access. Yeah. But here's he's gone through this wonderful list of yeah, it was a paper and stamp era, but here's all the avenues that that took. Yeah, right? it wasn't yeah, just a yeah, blanket. Yeah. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter campaign yeah. or whatever, you had to focus down to everybody from media, entertainment people to columnists to producers to the studio yeah. to everybody. Bumpers, the, bumper stickers, the well, whole bit. There's something kind and of... Getting publicity. It, when, when we're being nostalgic about fandom in the 70s, there is something kind of very charming and pure about this idea that... One person is Star Trek. Gene Roddenberry, uh, for better or for worse, that is his baby. And yes, fans know names like Gene Kuhn and Bob Justman and Dorothy and David Gerald and everybody else mm-hmm. who had kind of kept the flame and, and would come back to do other things with Star Trek. Many of them, not, not all of them. Um, but to most fans, Gene Roddenberry is the guy. Mm-hmm. And when he says something about Star Trek, you you take that exactly at right. face value. You go, yeah, well, the, this is the word from Star Trek. We don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. And part of it is the type of communication that we have uh, where, as you said before, you know, the 24-7 sort of Twitter, Facebook, social media machine where Everybody is lumping in every voice together to talk about Star Trek in forty-seven different directions. Exactly, not all of them positive. I don't mean yeah, I don't mean not. negative critiques. I mean right. some of them. You know, I'm doing air quotes here around toxic fandom. But you're yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. Right. Uh, but you don't have, or at least it's maybe not as trusted when somebody from. CBS mm-hmm. or from Paramount, now that we, we live in a world of the remerger with Viacom, uh, just says, no, here's what's going on. 
here's the story mm-hmm. in black and white, boom. Uh, well, then that just opens up a whole other can of worms. But so I can imagine being a fan on January 6, 1978, getting this letter and going, ah, there it is. The, the, mm-hmm. the word from the guy himself, Mr. Star Trek, this tells me everything that I need to know. And, and of course, the communication channels would be. This would have been mailed to every fan club. Every you mm-hmm. know, get the well committee newsletter. Get the clubs. Get the newsletters. Yeah. Get the zines. Yeah. Get you know post this in every store you can think of <laughs> right. that, would, that would be fan associated. And right. it's, you know, and then and then dribble out to the all the listings that we don't have a listing for as it goes down. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, to have a dated. Uh, this is not for. It's it's not a press release. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. a it's a letter to fandom, and uh, that's the way that's the way things work. Then, yeah. but um, yeah, what a what a great recount of the '70s, all in one letter. Yeah. I thought, yeah. Anyway, thanks, John. Thank you for coming Thank by you. again. What a pleasure. Talk any time to talk about motion picture. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> well, we've certainly got the time for it right yes. now. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Additional production by Ken Ray. All of our documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. For more great podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47 at larrynemachek.com. That's me. Trek well, everybody. podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network